Welcome to Fireside Nets, brought to you by Empire Sports Media. We are your hosts, Ben Harris and Nick Shanman, and it is the end of the Brooklyn Nets 2022-2023 season. They were swept by the Philadelphia 76ers in the first round. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the Game 4 loss. But first, Nick, how have you been? I know it's been a tough few days for you with the Nets losing and everything and and not winning a single game for the second straight year. But outside of the Nets' complete, utter failures, what's going on in the world of Nick Shannon? No, I'm good. Spent the weekend in Boston. It was nice. Uh, got to hang out with a bunch of Celtics fans as their team won. It was a very rewarding experience. Shout out to Josh Belinsky, a really good friend of the podcast. Uh, he has some ties to the Celtics organization. And um, we're we're just happy that his team is is succeeding when you know ours is uh it's pretty much done, Nick. I mean, we, we are done. Stick a fork in the Brooklyn Nets; their season's over. We lost Game Four to the 76ers. Final score was 96-88. Uh, this was the second sweep in two years. And Nick, I thought that you know, like every game this season, I'm sorry, every game this series minus Game One. The Nets looked like they can compete with the Sixers team throughout moments of the game. And then the fourth quarter came, and the Nets just had absolutely zero offensive firepower for the third straight game. Yeah, I don't I don't even know what to say. We did the same thing in every single game. We had a good first half and then slowly trickled to a, our death. And everyone in the fourth quarter decided to miss every shot they took. We also do a thing where we play really good team basketball. And in the fourth quarter, just huck up threes. Similar to what the Atlanta Hawks are doing right now against the Celtics. They'll stay in the game. And then DeJounte and Trey will just take turns hucking threes in the fourth to try to stay in it. We completely change our game plan. We completely lose trust in the strategy and our coaching in each other. It becomes Dinwiddie hucking. It becomes uh, Mikhail Bridges trying to force shots up because he hasn't been clutched in the past few months, especially since joining the Nets, maybe in his career. So I maybe I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's never been in this position. But every game, we seem to be in it. And then the big players on the Sixers, Harden, Embiid, Maxi, especially Tobias Harris in the past few games, hit big shots, and we do not. Um, and I think that's really what it comes down to. I, I think it hurts more because we were in the games. If we got blown out every single time, especially in this this fourth game, if we got blown out from the start, it would have been like turning your TV off, I'm done watching. The fact that we do stay in the games, we do make it a fight, we look at times 10, 12 minutes in a row like a very complete, well-distributed passing team, uh, and then it just falls off the rails. So, listen, we knew this was a rebuilding uh, uh, next couple of years after we made the big trade, got rid of all our stars, Durant, Harden, Kyrie, but it doesn't make it hurt any less, especially because we could have stolen one or two of those games in the first four, a uh, couple, couple things go differently in a fourth quarter. And this is a, is a series. So Nick, let me ask you a question. Is it that Philadelphia is such a good team that they were able to beat us when James Harden was ejected in game three and then without Embiid in game four or are the Nets just that flawed offensively 
to the point where no matter what happened, we were going to pretty much lose every single game. I think it's a little bit of both, uh, especially on paper. I mean, I mean, look at the player comparisons, right? We're looking at Spencer Dinwiddie, Nick Claxton, Mikhail Bridges versus James Harden, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris. And then if you look at our fourth, right, you're looking at like a Royce O'Neal, a Seth Curry versus a Tyrese Maxey. You know, some so I can I Maxie. can argue that Tyrese Maxey was their one in this series I was from gonna, a scoring I was perspective. I was going to say the same thing. You could put Ben Maxey, you could put him in the discussion as not only a top three, but the one or two after Embiid. So on paper, talent-wise, they're a better, more complete, put-together team than we are. They've been building more than we have over the past few years. We keep, we keep resetting. Uh, so it hurts our chemistry, hurts the pieces being put together in the right ways. So it's, it is talent, but it's also heart. And I, I'm seeing this a lot in the NBA playoffs against some of these losing teams. I see it in the T-Wolves. Carl Anthony Towns trots around like he's trying to get his, but doesn't really care about the team. Go Bears never been a team guy. I think he tries, but he's he, nobody likes playing with him. He got slow-mo on the T-Wolves. He's like the, the, the captain of the T-Wolves now taking control, which is sad for a playoff team. But to get back to the Nets, I don't want to call it an effort thing because I do think they're all playing their asses off. Cam Johnson is trying to get good shots. D- uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, who's had a cold couple months, is trying to get his. He is rebounding. He's doing. He's, they're playing hard on D. Bridges on both sides of the ball is doing his best. I just sent, sensed a lack of heart and a lack of wanting it as compared to the Sixers. And I think yeah. if you look at the Sixers like Embiid, who might win his first MVP, who has gotten so much shit, Doc Rivers, who they talk about, you know, was his 08 Celtics championship a fluke because he has all these amazingly talented teams that can never get out of the first or second round. So they have so much more to play for than we do. So, you know, to answer your question, I think that there's a lot of pieces there. Talent-wise, they're better. They also just – it is their time more than it is our time, right? They picked up Harden. Harden's towards the end of his career. They picked up uh, – uh, they've been building guys like Maxi and Tobias Harris over the past few years who keep getting better and better. They have Embiid, who I just mentioned, who at this point is in his prime. So it's like now or never for the Sixers. So I, I sense that in the way they play. It's more desperation. It's more immediate. It's now. It's it's a win now mentality. The Nets want to win. We know we don't have the manpower, and we know we have a lot to develop to get there. So I, I tweeted about this on the Fireside Nets Twitter account. Um, but I think there are three things that successful playoff teams have. Right? They have talent. They have chemistry, and then that third thing is grit. And if you looked at the Brooklyn Nets after the trade was made. You got a junkyard dog in Dorian Finney-Smith. You already had a dog in Royce O'Neal. You get two young young dogs in Mikael Bridges and, and Cam, Cameron Johnson. What I mean by dogs is these are guys that play very hard. They take pride in their defense. They, they take pride in the way they play. They're not pushovers. Um, they, they're just they're, – they're dogs. They're grit guys, right? And that was the one area that we might have had the 76ers, or at least Nets fans thought we did. And that just wasn't the case. The Sixers are a more talented team than us. They definitely had more chemistry than us. And, you know, unfortunately, the one area I thought we'd beat them, they either, they either you know, matched us up perfectly or they, or they outmatched us. And uh, I, I look at the one guy on that team that I absolutely love, you know, a guy like P.J. Tucker. Doesn't need to do a lot, but he does so much dirty work for that team. He was a guy I really wanted the Nets to acquire in the offseason. It just didn't happen. Um, and then some of the other pickups they made, like D'Anthony Melton, you know, from the Grizzlies, he's been a really huge X factor for them off the bench. 15 points in this win for the 76ers. A guy like Georges Nyang has been there all year. 
Um, Paul Reed filled in for Joel Embiid. He had 10 points, 15 rebounds. Uh, and Tobias Harris absolutely killed us. Him and Maxi just murdered us all series. Harris finished with 25 and, and 12 rebounds in game four. So listen, I think we talked enough about this series. 76ers are going to move on. They're going to play. Um, who who do they play now? Uh, I guess what if if the so then if let's say the Knicks beat the Cavs, right? The Knicks would have to play the higher seed between Milwaukee and Boston, right? I think that's how it goes. You're on mute. So I think if if Milwaukee wins this series, and by the way, this is a very close game in the fourth quarter, less than two minutes left. Milwaukee's up two uh, with a minute 44 left as Jimmy Butler just gets fouled on a two-point shot. Um, but Milwaukee would play the Knicks if those two teams move on, and then the Celtics would, would play the 76ers. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I agree with the Celtics, the Celtics. I agree with everything you said. They, they're just look, they're, they're a more talented team than us. They, they've been together all year. Um, as bad as Doc Rivers is as a coach, I, I, they, it was going to be hard for us to move past them, let alone get a game. And I had picked the Nets in, in this series because I thought that maybe Philly can overlook us and I thought the Nets would execute on offense a little bit more. I think we sort of saw the blueprint to beating Philadelphia throughout the series is, you know, slow down and bead, uh, figure out what, what you can do with Harden, Maxi, or Harden and Maxi. Tobias Harris is the guy that you were going to let score 20, 25 a game. Um, but offensively, the fact that they put up in, uh, you know, two different games in this series, they put up 88 points, 84 points. That's just not going to get it done in the NBA. I mean, hey, you um, could have the best strategy in the world and execute it well, but but they're bigger than us. They have more talent than us. They hit more shots than us. Uh, it, it, we were almost too outmanned no matter how well we stuck to a specific game plan. Yeah. You know, we needed all the stars to align. We needed defensively shut down Embiid, slow down Harden and Maxi, let Tobias Cook, let guys like Niang and Melton hit their shots. That's fine. We then needed to know that we had to respond on offense. We needed no bad games from guys like Bridges, Dinwiddie. Cam. And by the way, Bridges outside of game one, he pretty much had a rough game every single series. Cam Johnson uh, had the one game where he went off and then, and he was relatively quiet for the rest of the series. Spencer Dinwiddie, man, two really bad games to start the series. He finished with, with two better games, but at the same time, down the stretch, he tried to take over at moments and you looked at him and you said, he's not a one or a two on this team. He can't be, if this team wants I to be know. successful, he cannot be our, our, our number one or number two offensive option. Um, and, and by the way, Nick Claxton, who ended up finishing the series pretty strong, gets ejected in game three. Who knows what could have been ha had he stayed in that game. So I definitely want to move off this. And by the way, the Heat have taken a four-point lead with 50 seconds left. They have a chance to go three. It was three a two. One. They called it a two. They, they called, called it a two. two. Jimmy, Jimmy Butler is playing out of his mind, by the way. Playoff Jimmy is points. different. I want to put that out there. Um, and that's the kind of performance that we needed from Mikael Bridges, right? We needed Mikael Bridges to be Jimmy Butler. Uh, he, but look, it's his first year as that number one option. I'm not going to fault him too much. Nick, I, I want to move on to just your end of the season thoughts on everything that happened for Brooklyn this year. Uh, you know, we don't have to get in all the KD Kyrie stuff. We, we've talked about that um, in length on the, on this show, but sort of talk to me about the second half nets, some takeaways and, and just your overall thoughts to end the season. We've exhausted a lot of the conversations about the superstars and resetting. So I'll leave it at this. We, we hit the reset button once again in Brooklyn. Uh, we got a lot of picks. We got a lot of young guys. 
We got guys like Cam Thomas, who if we don't get rid of, has a lot of future potential of being a star. Uh, we've seen him score at length. We've seen him score 40 back-to-back-to-back games. We've seen Claxton over the past three years develop uh, into a, a, a Brink all-star big man. I think next season or two, he really – level up starts averaging you know 18 and 12 20 and 15 and ends up being that guy uh, who's one of the best bigs in the league uh bang guys down low who can compete he puts on some weight uh he works a little bit more in his free throws and he ends up being uh, a good star on this brooklyn team uh we've learned mikhail bridges has potential to be an elite scorer in the nba got him from the suns this year and he instantly was averaging over 30 a game his mid-range game uh, you know, is in the in the field of DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Durant was he, when he's at his best. He works on that mid-range game uh, just as much, if not more, than anybody in this league. But we've also learned when you have guys like Mikael Bridges who haven't been in situations like an NBA playoff game where you are the number one scorer, it's tough. It's a new headspace. It's a new game plan. You don't have Devin Booker, CP3, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton who are all ready to take that shot as well. So – those are the positives I'm taking away from this. You also got to go with a grain of salt and say we love Spencer Dinwiddie. He's not the guy who's going who's, who's gonna to put this team on the next level. He could be a three or four. Same with Dorian Finney-Smith. He could be a three or four. Um, but we are going to need someone besides Mikhail Bridges, who we know we can entrust with the ball in big situations. I'm hoping Claxton gets there. If he can work on his post game, his hook shot, we can start hitting him down low like they do to Embiid or Jokic. Uh, obviously, he won't ever be that stretch and, and hit the three like they can but just relying on him more down low. Uh, so I think the future is bright for this team. I think we made a lot of moves that set us back in the uh, immediate future, but in the long-term three to five-year plan, we are team with the right pieces. We got to use our draft picks wisely, see if we could get another piece somehow to this puzzle. We're going to need someone big. We're going to need Ben Simmons, peak Ben Simmons. Uh, we're going to need Ben Simmons to be an actual factor on this team to make him worth it. Um, so the future is uncertain, but I think given the talent we have right now, we make a couple smart moves. We are back to being an elite team in a couple of years. The one time, the one guy I didn't hear you talk about was Cam Johnson. I like Cam Johnson. You can disagree with me. I don't see him being more than a Tobias Harris. He's obviously not as big as much of a rebounder, but a, a guy that you're probably going to let take those bigger shots in those moments. I think he's a solid shooter. I think he's got a good basketball IQ. I don't see Cam Johnson developing into a Devin Booker type. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think what Cam Johnson does is extremely unique. I think he's a guy, he, he's a bigger wing. He can hit the three. He can put the ball on the floor. He's got a nice mid-range shot. Um, it, you know, he was cold the first few weeks as a Brooklyn net. It took him a little while to get acclimated, but once he got going, I, I thought that, you know, at, at times he looked like our second best player after Mikhail Bridges. Um, and he, I really liked what he did in, in game. I think two, it was where he put up, he, he went off. He had the dunk on Embiid. Uh, he's got some serious potential. Now the Nets have a choice to make on Cam Johnson in the offseason. They have to decide if, if they're going to pay him the money that his him and his team wants. And I'm sure they want a lot because he, he's, he's, he's that, he's that kind of player that if, if the Nets don't retain his services, he can sign with a Houston, with a Detroit for a lot of money, a younger team, and he can sort of be that veteran presence on a younger team. Um, 
But I, I definitely, you know, so you, you shared your end of the season thoughts. Here are mine. Once Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were traded, I think every single Brooklyn Nets fan knew we can kiss any sort of championship aspirations for the 22-23 season goodbye. That was number one. Then it became, well, are we even going to make the playoffs? And I'd like to commend Jacques Vaughn. I, I know Nets Twitter is pretty split on him. I don't think he had a good series coaching. I, I think he he was rough with his rotations. There were guys that probably should have got some run, like an Edmund Sumner, um, you know, over uh, Seth Curry or or Joe Harris. Joe Harris was absolutely atrocious in this series. So I think his time as a Brooklyn Net is is coming to an end, unfortunately, for for all the Joe fans out there. Um, he's just not right for this team, uh, and and I think he he can help, you know a team that has all the places, all, all the guys in their roles and they can use like a, an eighth, ninth guy who can hit threes occasionally. It just, it didn't make sense for the Nets and the Nets had too many of that player, right? We had Patty Mills. We had, for we had four, Seth Curry. Four, oh for three, oh for two were the last three, three point lines for Joe Harris. Yeah. So he, his time is done in, in Brooklyn, but, um, but I'll tell you this, I, I commend Jacques Vaughn for getting this team to the sixth seed. The fact that they avoided the play in was absolutely huge. Um, and I thought that, you know, just talking about the regular season, I thought they did a good job, good enough job, given the fact that they hadn't really played together at all. Um, but you know, experience comes out in the postseason. guys who have been there before are able to sort of showcase what they can do and, and guys who haven't, it's a little bit tougher. Um, so I thought we sort of ran in, into a buzzsaw in Philadelphia, but overall, I, I guess I'd say that disappointed is not the right word to use. I, I was unhappy that it didn't work out with the superstars, but based on what we've done, I think, look, we could have tanked the rest of the season. This team could have missed the playoffs. And then we're talking about, well, okay, what are we going to trade Mikhail Bridges for? What are we going to trade Cam Johnson for? Like, can we do a sign and trade with Cam Johnson? Like how, how are we going to get rid of clacks to get more picks? We're not in that position, Nick. We are in a very unique position where, the Brooklyn Nets can go a lot of different directions. We could go that rebuild mode and say, fuck it. Give us all the picks. Give us, you know, three, four first round picks for, for Mikhail Bridges. Give us um, some first round picks for Nick Claxton. Give us as many picks and, and try to go that route. I don't think that Sean Marks wants to do that. I think if, if Marks goes that route, he probably gets fired within, you know, the year. Um so now we look at the other route, right? We look at the, okay, well, how can we build around Mikhail Bridges, Nick Claxton, and Cam Johnson if he decides, if we decide to bring him back and, and sign him to big money? Is Spencer Dinwiddie in the cards? Do we want to bring him back? Do we kind of want to bring back this the roster that we had but make some changes here and there? Can we count on Ben Simmons to come back fully healthy and lead this team? Now, I, I, don't, I think that's the worst option out of the three. I don't think you stand pat with this roster and make a few moves or make a few adjustments, like minor adjustments I'm talking about. Do you have, do you have a rebuttal there? No, no. Okay. seemed like you were going to say something anyway. Um, and then you sort of look at, well, what can the nets do if they really want to contend in the East in, in these next few years? And the name Damian Lillard comes up. Now Damian Lillard was at game three watching the Brooklyn Nets against the 76ers at the Barclays. He has a relationship with Mikhail Bridges. Lillard is, is on record saying Bridges is one of his favorite players in the NBA. 
there's a clip of, of Damian Lillard at a camp talking to kids, or I don't know if it was a college or I don't really know where he was, but he was talking to a group of younger individuals. And he was basically saying like, you got caught, you got guys in the league, like Mikhail Bridges, they'll cut right across your face and, and nail a mid range jumper. Damian Lillard has a high appreciation for Mikhail Bridges game. He is unhappy in Portland. He does not want to be part of a rebuild. That is an option that Sean Marks could go for. He can also go to Atlanta, who is probably going to get bounced the next game or two by the Boston Celtics. Atlanta has an unhappy point guard in Trey Young, who's 24 years old. Damian Lillard's 32. So they got DeJounte Murray, who's like starting fights with refs. Yeah, I saw that. And also, uh, shout out to Podthorn on, on Twitter. He has a Nets podcast himself. He's actually a fan of the Nets going after DeJounte Murray, who had a really good season this year. He was an all-star for the Atlanta Hawks. So I, let, let's start with, with Trey Young and Damian Lillard, Nick. Which route would you prefer to go to? Trading for a Trey Young, who's 24, but, you know, he has his shortcomings. He's a shorter player defensively. He's, he's, he's not the best. Or no. would you go for proven veteran Damian Lillard, who's one of the best top three point guard in the league coming off one of his best seasons in a while. Yes. He's, he's had some injuries in the past few years, but he's a guy who, if he's in a new environment, he's playing with his buddy, Mikhail Bridges. Do you see the Nets making that move? I guess let's start with what would you prefer Trey Young or, or Damian Lillard? And would you prefer either of them? It's the dumbest, easiest question you could ever ask someone. Damian Lillard. Dame time. Damian fucking Lillard or Trey Young. The ball at 42% from the field in the playoffs is sub 40. Has an amazing assist to turnover ratio, but doesn't have half talent, balls, clutch gene, and overall superstardom that Damian Lillard has. Like, that's not even a question to me. That's like asking who would you rather have, LeBron James or Contavious Caldwell Pope? That's a, that's a bit of a stretch. But to me, there is no competition who I would rather have. I would love to have Damian Lillard on this team. Whereas I don't really want Trey Young, even if we have to give up, like, even if we got a great deal for him. I, like, if you were just adding Trey Young to this team, I don't think that would make that big of a difference. I don't think Trey Young is threading the needle at such a higher rate than Spencer Dinwiddie that Trey Young's going to come in and make an immediate impact. I really don't. So, so Lillard to me is an absolute no brainer. The dude only gets better with age looking at his stats for this year. I mean, 32 points a game shooting 46%, seven assists. And like I said, let me just confirm. I'm pretty sure Trey Young shoots at about a 42 rate. Yeah. 42, nine, 26 points a game beats him on the assists part, but it's a no brainer to me. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I said during the season that I thought Damian Lillard would be perfect for this team. Um, he He's someone who, look, the Nets lacked a closer in that series against Philadelphia. If you have Damian Lillard, you know who your closer is. And guess what? I'm sure Mikhail Bridges will play better if he knows he's got Damian Lillard basically closing out games. And, and, and I bet Bridges can be more effective as the second option. That's just sort of, I think, what Nets fans think we love what Mikhail Bridges brought to the table, but if he's your number one, I just don't know if that, if that's a championship team. Now, if you have Damian Lillard as your number one bridges as your two cam Johnson, Nick Claxton, and you're able to round out that roster. I think that's, that's a team that can compete in the East. Now the question is, 
what do you have to give up to get Damian Lillard? How many picks is it? Probably going to have to trade Ben Simmons' contract if Portland's willing to take that. Um, so do you – I mean, I, I guess this you answered my question, but you like the idea of Lillard in Brooklyn. You think that the Nets could, could make that work, and, and, and I guess would you be able to rank them amongst the best in the East if we were to acquire Lillard? I think the Lillard-Claxton combination would – would absolutely slaughter. I think okay. if you look at the the downfall of Portland, they've always been very successful with guards, Dame Lillard, McCollum, Simons, uh, Norman Powell, who they developed, who's now putting 40 points up in the playoffs for the Clippers. They've never been top-heavy. LaMarcus Aldridge was kind of a soft big. You got uh, Nurkic, who's just not an elite player. Uh, you thought with time he would just – I'd be careful if I were you because if the Portland Trailblazers decide to trade Damian Lillard to the Nets, I think there's a strong possibility that they want Claxton in return and they'll probably throw in Nurkic. So just just be careful with the Nurkic slander because that'll be the biggest Nurkic guy of all time. I'm only what my only point is this is the reason Portland hasn't been able to get too far in the playoffs. They had I think they had one really deep playoff run one year, um, a couple of years back, but they were missing a guy like Claxton. Even Jeremy Grant, who they decided they still couldn't make the playoffs with. And I, and I really like Jeremy Grant's game. So I think Dillard would fit into this offense. I think he'd fit into any offense. But this offense specifically, uh, we have a lot of great guards he could play alongside. And we do have a big who's always going to finish his alley-oops, who's not going to get into hopefully not as much foul trouble as Nurkic gets into, who's a little more of a dunker, blocker, low than Nurkic who even though he's a little thicker Nurkic does play a little soft at times so I think that would be an amazing fit if that happened I'm buying a Lillard jersey right away I couldn't tell you the last time I bought a jersey I could tell you it was James Harden like a couple years ago but I I would love that yes okay and by the way Jimmy Butler finished with 56 points and the win Miami up 3-1 just an absurd game from Jimmy Butler 19 to 28 from the field I think he had 15 free throws that he made he is just – when the playoffs happen, Jimmy Butler becomes Michael Jordan. It is insane. Um, okay, Nick, moving on. We talked about the possibility of Lillard coming to Brooklyn. I agree with you, by the way. I don't love Trey Young. I, I don't like the fit. I don't really like his game, and I, I, I don't think he plays winning bas- basketball necessarily, and it's nothing against him. I just – I don't like the idea of a five foot ten, five foot nine player being the best player on our, on our team. Call me crazy. Um, and I'd I actually agree. like – yeah. yeah. Doing himself any favors by looking horrendous in the Celtics series right now. Yeah. I, I would prefer DeJounte Murray despite him assaulting a rat. Same. Same. I would take McCollum. I would take uh, Russell – no, I wouldn't take Russell Westbrook. I mean, I'd take Westbrook over Dinwiddie. I would. Well, I think the – I think the – baggage Westbrook now carries along with him is is too much of a distraction for this young Nets team all right and I, I wanted to just talk about it for a second Ben Simmons look if, if the Nets don't trade him there's reports that he's going to be 100% for training camp he doesn't need a, another back surgery um, do you have faith that he can get back to the Ben Simmons of old for this Brooklyn Nets team because I don't at this point, no. Um, and that, that's I, even I, if, even if he gets think... all his athleticism back, which I guess he didn't have this season, 
I just I don't see it. I, I, I just, just can't just see think, the light. I want to put it this way, and I think it's okay. important to think about. Name a player who has been this hated, uh, has had this much spotlight on him, who has crumbled so much emotionally, mentally, physically, and came back stronger. I mean, I'm looking at guys, and again, these are there's a scale here, right? Simmons has had it worse than a lot of people, but Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook started getting becoming a journeyman after the Thunder. He started getting called a, a terrible shooter. He started being a guy who would go like three for 19, like he did a couple games ago, and get booed and shit on, and the media would grill him about it. And let's be real. When Westbrook started falling off the rails, he hasn't come back. He has been a guy jumping from team to team, trying to make an impact. Nobody's going to deny Russell Westbrook's greatness. That's a two-time MVP. He is one of the most athletic guards to ever play the game of basketball. He's a Hall of Famer. But when he started falling off, he fell off hard, right? I'm looking at other guys who, who again, and, and mental health we take seriously. So I don't want to talk shit about these people, but I'm just saying how difficult it is to come back from. You have guys like DeMarcus Cousins, who got in the people's bad graces. And he now is wondering why he hasn't been on a team because his skill is undeniable too. He came out and he was one of the best three-point shooting bigs in the NBA. I had a couple of controversial moves that, you know, was disliked by a couple of organizations, had the media spotlight on him. And he's now bouncing from team to team. Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard, another hall of famer kind of fell off. Yes. He got older, but then he got a bad rap. He got shit on a couple times. He bounced around from team to team. He couldn't find a home. And this is a guy who was averaging 20 and 10, even, you know, halfway through his career. So historically, it is way less likely for Ben Simmons to come back better than ever after everything that has happened than it is for him to just kind of slowly fade into the, into the abyss as sad and upsetting as that would be, especially because he's on the Brooklyn Nets right now. But the odds are, to someone years of physical emotional mental deterioration i don't see him coming back from that yeah i would agree with you and that that's why I, i'd probably like the nets to move on to his uh, from his contract and you know if you have to unload it with a pick then then you do it i, I just don't think he's going to work out in brooklyn you know who the only um, guys are could be sadly wrong. yeah the only guys i've seen in the past couple of years get shit on and still just play their game Kyrie, like Kyrie. You get Durant and Harden, who've had a little bit of shade. And, and Westbrook, Ky- like you said, Westbrook to a certain extent. To a certain extent, but you got guys like Kyrie, who probably in the past years had the most backlash of anyone on their controversial moves. Westbrook gets shit on for having like a well, little... Hold on, but time Kyrie out. Kyrie gets it, shit on for his beliefs. Nick, hold on. But you're ta- the difference between that and Ben Simmons is Simmons is getting pooped on for his... NBA, a bit like his basketball ability, and the fact that he, he hasn't been able to be an effective scorer... Uh, in the NBA, outside know, of the paint, right. I'm talking more holistically about just taking uh, abuse from the media and from the fans and that effect on you. Yes, you're right. It was more so Kyrie's off the court stuff, Simmons is on the court stuff, but also Russell Westbrook's on the court stuff. So those are more comparable. Um, I just wanted to point out I put out a poll uh, earlier today on Fireside Nets asking who people would rather trade for 55% of votes said Damian Lillard, 10% of people said Trey young and 35% said don't trade for either. So more people would rather not trade for either of those guys than trade for Trey young, which I think is, I mean, looking at who you're looking at trading for big stars lately has not done well for us. So maybe we do something like the Celtics grow a team from the ground up with good draft picks and build around. 
And by the way, a quick update on Cam Johnson, you know, his end of the season or, or exit interview. If you listen to some of the quotes he said, he can't downright say he wants to be in Brooklyn. But he talked about, you know, how much uh, joy he had in playing with Mikhail Bridges in Brooklyn. He doesn't not want to play with Bridges. Bridges is going to be here for the long term. He talked about the chefs in Brooklyn. He talked about how he's warming up to New York. He pretty much said almost everything you can say instead of like saying, hey, I want to resign here. So I think that the Nets are going to give Cam Johnson a lot of money. And I like the move. I, I really like his motor. I think he's a high energy player. I think he has a lot of upside. He was he was buried on, on the depth chart in Phoenix. And I say buried, he was the sixth man, but I like him as a starter. I, I think that he can he can really be, you know, a great third or fourth option for the Nets. He can be what Mikhail Bridges was for the Suns for the Nets. He can be that third or fourth guy that can go off for 20, 30 if you need him to. Um, so I look forward to the Nets giving Cam Johnson the bag in the offseason. Uh, Nick, really fast. I want to do end of the season grades. I'm going to give you a name. You're just going to give me a grade from A to F, and then I'll give my own grade right after. You ready? Okay, here we go. Jacques Vaughn. A to F. Uh, B minus. I'll give him a B. I, I think that's fair. I'll give him a B. Sean Marks. D. Really? What's your reasoning? Uh, we're you never know what the fuck is going on or what direction we're going to go in, and it flip flops every six months. So, if you had to tell, if I had to give you a grade for his tenure with the big three, I would say, or, or big two with KD and Kyrie, I would say that's a lot lower for this season specifically. I actually give Sean Marks a C plus, and I say that because for what he was able to get with from KD from the Suns was huge. Now, I don't think he really maximized his uh, trade value with Kyrie Irving. I thought while Dinwiddie and, and Dorian Finney-Smith had their moments, and, and Dinwiddie, by the way, had a really good second half for the Brooklyn Nets. He averaged like nine assists a game. Um, I thought that you know maybe you could have got a better piece than Dorian Finney-Smith. I don't think DFS really made sense for this Nets team, um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not back in a Nets uniform next year. Uh, speaking of Mikhail Bridges, what would what would you give him in terms of a grade uh, during his tenure as a Brooklyn Net this year? A minus. I can't fault a guy if he doesn't come up clutch when he went from averaging seventeen to thirty points a game. I think he took a leap. I think there's only more from here, but A minus and not an A because of the lack of of clutch minute takeovers and shots I needed from him. Yeah, I'll go A minus two. I'll 100% agree with you. Um, if he were able to close out games for us and and you know make an impact in the playoffs outside of game one, I would probably give him an A. Uh, but because he kind of faltered there, I give him an A minus. Cam Johnson, what's your grade for Cam Johnson? A minus. See, I give him a B. I thought that Johnson was inconsistent a lot of times. I thought he finished out the year really well. Um, but I, he had some games that he just, he looked, you know, he was getting like 14, 15 off terrible shooting. But again, numbers. Put, uh, again, put that into perspective of the, lot of the, the jump he had to take from being a six to a three. I, I, these things have to be in consideration of how much they, how much these guys had now put on their plate. Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Spencer Dinwiddie were now running a team as opposed to supporting a team. Final two guys to grade Nick Claxton. A minus. I know I keep saying A minus. Again, I love the jump he took, but there are still games where he's not a factor. 
And that's going to happen occasionally. We can't have that be every other, every two games. He just doesn't show up. He needs to find consistency. He needs to be a threat every game, especially because our backup is Dayron Sharp, who we don't want to play. So I'll give him an A minus. He's come very far. Again, there's a next step in his game that will take him to an A. It will take him above and beyond. I'll give him a B plus. I, I think there were a lot of moments that uh, he wasn't there when we needed him, especially in the 76er series. Um, you also saw a little bit of a dip in, in performance when KD and Kyrie left. Uh, but I, I think a B plus is a fair grade for him. I think he still has another level he can get to. Uh, and finally, we end with Spencer Dinwiddie. What what grade would you give him? B minus. I think going into it, we thought Spencer Dinwiddie was kind of the rock and the most consistent guy in terms of hitting open shots, being familiar with this Nets organization in the past. I think he tried to do way too much. He had no touch down low with the passes to Claxton. His alley-oop game was some of the worst I've seen in a while watching the NBA. He took a lot of ill-advised shots towards the end. I like his confidence. I like that he wants to be the guy, but he's not. Mikael Bridges is the guy. And for him, I'll put fault on both of those players. It's Bridges, too, needing to demand the ball in those situations. But it's Dinwiddie making a bad pass, taking an ill-advised shot, complaining to the refs every which way. He's just, to be honest, he, he had a better season on the Mavs being a supporting guy to Doncic. He came here thinking he was going to get a lot more uh, ball time and volume shooting up. And it, it, he did, but his efficiency dropped. And so to me, it's taking a step back and realizing he, he needs to still be a supporting cast member. See, I'll give him a B because I thought the fact that he had, you know, he went from, being a guy in Dallas who wasn't a decision maker, you know, playing off of Luka Doncic to being a guy in Brooklyn where he had to get everybody involved. He had to be, you know, not just the point guard, but essentially the game manager for these Brooklyn Nets. And I thought he did a pretty good job in the regular season. Now where it completely went downhill was when right before the series, they did an interview with him and he kind of talked shit about Kyle Kuzma. And he, and he talked about, you know, how he doesn't want it enough and, and he's not – basically, he shit on him. He shit on, shit on him in an interview um, and, and said, you know, oh, I, I just I, – you know, I, I saw he, he wasn't about that life and, and everything basketball. And, and he kind of talked a, a big game and, you know, you thought he was going to back it up in the series and he just didn't. And um, I think that his lack of – look, you love the fact that he's confident – but his lack of awareness in that game three where he, he, he tried to take over and he went to the rim against Embiid and just got absolutely rejected. Um, you, you just wish that he could have, he could have been more of a James Harden in that moment and gotten bridges involved and, and figured out, you know, different ways to get guys to score. Cause at the end of the day, Spencer Dinwiddie is not an elite scorer in this league. He is a good scorer. He can score at all three levels but not to the point where he's Kyrie Irving. He does it as any above average player should, right? He can get hot from three occasionally. He's not a great three-point shooter. He can get hot from the mid-range, but he's not a great mid-range shooter. So for, for me, I give him a B because he had to step outside his comfort zone, because he had to go back to those days when he was a point guard. Um, I just wish that, you know, the way he ended the season and in the playoffs – I wish that he kept that that brand of basketball up, which which is high basketball IQ and, and playing smart. I don't think he played that way in this series against the 76ers. 
All right, Nick. We talked a lot today. Uh, you know, we're obviously going to keep recording throughout the offseason. This is not the end of Fireside Nets. The Brooklyn Nets season might be over, but this podcast definitely isn't. Uh, we're going to have some some guests on in the offseason. I already have um, someone who's a big part of Nick's Twitter. They agreed to come on in, in one of the next few episodes because, let's face it, New York Nets are out Knicks of the playoffs. Not, not my Twitter. Not not our Twitter, but the Knicks are still in the playoffs. They have a commanding 3-1 lead over the Cavs, probably going to get to the second round. So we're, we're, we're going to bring in someone from Knicks Twitter to talk about the, the New York Knicks and also share their thoughts on the Nets and why there's so much tension between the fan bases. Now, Nick, before I end the show, I did just want to get your prediction for the finals. What do you think based on everything that's happened so far? Who are we seeing from the West? Who are we seeing from the East? If I had to say one team from the West right now, it's got to be the Nuggets. I think it's their year. They just swept uh, who was the T-Wolves. Granted, T-Wolves were probably the weakest team. Obviously, they're the last seed. But overall, too. They didn't sweep them, by the way. The T-Wolves won game four. Oh, wait. You you are so bad at just, like, reading anything, bro. Like, they... The T-Wolves came back in overtime. (laughs) Fuck. Um, I think the Nuggets are still the best team. I would say Nuggets from the West... I hate the Celtics, and I can't really rely on the Bucks now that they lost the Heat, but I, I have to say Celtics from the East. I got Celtics-Warriors again. Oh, Don't God. sleep on the I Warriors. Guess, I like Do the not Kings, sleep though. on I like the Warriors. The yeah, they're playing without De'Aaron Fox in Game 5. Oh, I didn't know that shit. He's hurt. He's, he's doubtful. He, he fractured his index finger, I think. Um, okay, yeah, my, my pick is, is Celtics-Warriors and just – Give me the Warriors championship again, right? Now that the Nets are out, obviously I don't want the Knicks to win. I think the Bucs are going to lose this series now that the Heat are playing well. Um, I see the Celtics coming out of the East and then in the West. Look, the Lakers are giving the Grizzlies a run for their money. Uh, Nuggets are, are very good. And, you know, you still have the Suns. It's surprising that neither of us mentioned the team with Kevin Durant. They have a legitimate shot to go to the championship. But I'm telling you, I'm not going to count out the Golden State Warriors. You, you just – Steph Curry did everything he possibly could to lose that game, and they somehow found a way to win. So give me the Warriors against the Celtics rematch. I have the Warriors winning the championship. Nick, do you have any final words for our listeners out there before I end the show? No, I want to go watch the Lakers-Grizzlies game. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Fireside Nets brought to you by Empire Sports Media. I'm Spen Harris. He's my brother, Nick Shanman. And as always... Catch you on the fireside. End of the net season.